and we are live welcome to shifty perspective episode 23 today we are joined by chris timmerman who is a scientist at imperial college in london one of the world's most renowned research institutes he led the first neuroimaging research on the effects of dmt in the human brain and chris is also the president of the foundation for the study of human consciousness so i think today we're going to be delving pretty deep so uh hey chris good to meet you how are you doing hi ash yeah nice to meet you as well doing good uh yeah yeah as you know we just uh had a bit of an urgency here at the boat so a bit intense but uh yeah one of the water things just pop out in the middle but um yeah oh, we're, no. we're getting that fixed but yeah apart from that i'm, I'm good i'm having a nice cool. weekend yeah how long have you lived on a boat for uh four months it's fairly new oh nice yeah. okay how, how are you finding that well nice yeah yeah it's very good and uh the winter's a bit more um, it's a bit more hostile with the cold but you know i'm getting on well i'm enjoying it quite a lot actually so i yeah. see you're i saw so you're from chile originally yeah. um but your name timmerman is a dutch name according to my friend anyway who I, i'm in the netherlands and i was talking to my friend last night and they said that timmerman is a dutch name uh you <laughs> of dutch uh, heritage but you were born in chile or what's your what's your background yeah well it's it's a bit of a complicated story but uh yeah the the easy way to understand it is that seven generations back so i think beginning of 1900s i think it's german okay uh that came to chile uh it's just you know like chile and latin america there's you know huge migration mm -hmm. uh you know stories and everybody's mixed uh to a certain extent so so yeah that's that's a bit the story uh but it's a long long way back i don't even have yeah. a direct sort of connection or, or knowledge even of of the people that came there at that time or very little really but but it's the way that it goes there you have italian dutch all kind of migrants who get there okay. and and, mm. and of course you have the huge spanish sort of colonial yeah. influence uh but it's important to say that Latin America is just like it's a big mix um, ethnically, mm -hmm. uh, because unlike in the you know the North American sort of uh, country, countries, uh, yeah, the Spanish Empire was was very much about mixing and stuff. So everybody's like, yeah, everybody has a bit of blood, and and I think there are studies showing that. There's a percentage of indigenous blood that almost everybody has in South America. Okay, so interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, culturally, so Spanish is your first language then as well. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay, cool. So, how long have you been um, over in Europe, in the UK, for? So, Europe, I've been for eight years now. Um, yeah, now eight years. Um, I first came to Italy. Okay. Uh, I lived in northern Italy for for a while in Bologna, nice. uh, like two three years, and after that I I went to the UK, and I've been in the UK for five years, five and a half years. So your your research your uh, and your work did you start this in uh, Chile or is this something you have just got into more in in the UK or in Italy? The actual so I started to to do a bit of like work. Uh, since I was in Italy, I, I started to do some reviews, some massive information and publishing some stuff 
uh, in Chile with regards to this. Uh, but the actual like empirical work mm -hmm. started five years ago when I came to the UK. Uh, when, you know, when I went to base myself at Imperial College. Yeah. So what? Yeah, what is your um, your your main uh, focus of work, and and how did you kind of get onto the path that you are on now? So, because you, your background is psychology originally. Yeah, uh, okay. psychology and, and neuroscience. Um, so I've always been very interested in the mind. I've always been very interested in drugs as a point of research in general. Mm -hmm. As you know, it's, it's it's a good way to try to understand the way that the mind works is by perturbing it. And with drugs, you have a very unique way of perturbing consciousness, a yes. very unique way to to alter consciousness with different sort of parameters. So. Um, yeah, so so it's so always been interested, even I think from school, I was interested in drug research to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, I read a bit about it, I, you know, um, and always from the point of view of, of psychology. So the effects in the mind, the effects in consciousness and yeah. how can we, how can we, how can drugs help us understand this? Um, so, you know, as a psychologist, you know, usually when you graduate in Chile, you don't have a lot of possibilities of research around these kind of things because okay. of money and because of the institutes, the institutions don't, you know, it's not a lot of stuff happening there. Yeah. Um, but there is some work, right? But yeah, at the time I wasn't kind of like in that. So anyway, at some point uh, I won a scholarship to study neuroscience in Italy. And... I was there for a couple of years, uh, and during those years, I, I was always interested in psychedelics. You know, in a yeah. way, uh, San Pedro and Peyote, you know, which contain mescaline, you know, are a big part of the Americas. But in South America, Peyote is a sorry, San Pedro is a big cactus. You know, mm -hmm. in terms of like it's a bit everywhere, and it happens, and you know, like you travel around, and it's it's it is part of the journey in a way for many yeah. people um so i'm very interested in psychedelics in that regard and i think it uh, it uh, it left a, a, an an imprint or sort of like a mark of like you know curiosity for me for mm -hmm. many years so it happened to be that i was studying neuroscience in italy seven years ago um and when i was there i found out about a, uh, a conference happening in the uk about psychedelic research it's called breaking convention yeah. so i went there um and i discovered the amount of amazing stuff that was happening uh in the uk and and you know and in the us uh mostly uh, i did some of the research also in zurich and and switzerland but mostly around the stuff in imperial college which i was you know, found it was amazing. So at that point, I I contacted. Uh, I basically at the conference, I met my actual colleagues from now. Uh, oh, yeah. So so in that, I I kind of like I I basically met Mendel Kalin. I don't know if you've heard of him. He now has a company called Waypads and. He was a okay. psychedelic researcher. He did all his work with music and psychedelics, uh, and now he has a company on 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 generating, you know, music experiences and then healing experiences based on music, very much with a psychedelic model in mind. Okay, is this uh, in the UK? Yeah, he's in the UK. Yeah, cool. um, yeah. I can send you the his stuff later on. But anyway, through like 
uh, I, I met him there and through him, I, I contacted David Nutts, who's an yeah. uh, important researcher in the UK and drugs, uh, an eminent figure really. Um, and I proposed something to him. He accepted the proposal and uh, yeah, I, I started to do a PhD in, in London. So wow. I've did that for five years. I've just finished my PhD now and I'm still working at the lab. Um, Congratulations. Thank you, man. Yeah. So that must feel uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been a super interesting, uh, very inspiring ride, actually, uh, with a lot of things. And it's so much things to do and discover in these years of like, you know, I basically focused on DMT. Mm -hmm. Uh, The basic approach, like, let's figure DMT out, like, let's try to understand this from many different angles. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And how do you feel like, are you getting closer to really understanding DMT? Because I, I mean, I often talk about DMT on uh, on my podcast, but I don't really understand it truly. You know, I have my own interpretation of what, you know, of my experiences and, and from what I know roughly, but like, it seems to be still quite a lot of mystery surrounding this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there are many sides to it, uh, definitely, right? And and the the way that I've uh, approached it, I've decided to approach it is from like, uh, in uh, from a perspective in which both the importance of, of experience is there all the way through, while at mm-hmm. the same time we try to learn from what happens in in the organism, the brain. Yeah. Uh, and how do we generate bridges between these two levels of explanation, between the intimate subjective sort of component and the more biological brain matter sort of stuff. And I think in that, uh, you know, in those two worlds, there's a lot of things happening. So at a personal intimate level, like you say, a lot of people make up their own kind of like theories. And it's almost like when you speak with people, they all have their own specific philosophy of Mm-hmm. nature of reality to some degree uh and i'm also studying that you know the way that these philosophies that people have may shift these metaphysical views these worldviews um so th- there's an element of that and then there's an element of of actually kind of like all right so this is consciousness research at the moment the brain is a big part of that uh the brain is a system that is very linked to experience yes what happens to that system? Uh, and we found some some things there. I mean, we've 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 uh, made some important connections between, for example, the brain that the the way that the brain is, you know, during dreaming, and you know what happens when people are having these very immersive experiences with DMT, where it has this sort of kind of like virtual reality component to yeah. it, which is quite similar to dreaming in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of those things are there, then there are other sort of components in which, for example, modern, you know, prevailing theories in neuroscience speak that the brain is kind of like a predicting machine and uh, what happens to these predictive processes uh, and how do you build realities from, from their disruption in a way. Yeah. The empty state. So a lot of it has been focused on that. So this immersive sort of component and and what does it mean, like mm-hmm. under DMT? How 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 is this enabled through the machinery of the brain? 
And then the other element is really just exploring the experience. So just really the subjective experience. Yeah, just zooming in into that and, and looking at the structures of experience across people and, and, and trying to have a sense of the story, the DMT okay. story. Do you find um, with, uh, with dreaming there is now um, a, a direct link with that on our own DMT in our body? Is that, is that, or is that actually not true? Um, you know, how, how much research is there on this? We don't have evidence for that uh, yet. It's a possibility, but, okay. uh, but yeah, we don't have that that evidence that uh, this is still at the at the realm of speculation at the moment mm-hmm. um, whether or not endogenous role like endogenous dmt the one yeah. that is produced in the body naturally has an important role for these okay uh, these experiences of dreaming near-death experiences and so on but the phenomenological side the experience side is, is quite similar mm-hmm, definitely now we see that some of the brain mechanisms are also quite kind of similar you know the brain wave patterns that are formated there yeah. do you uh do you know if the reaction of uh the brain on, on dmt is completely different to that of other psychedelics or can you see have you have you done maybe side-by-side imaging um i know there was only it was only recently that lsd was actually um we had the first brain imaging scans right so has, has yeah. there been major comparisons yeah well i've done some analysis on on that on the data okay. the lsd study and this study and and you know we're, we're tapping into some stuff i'm still uh i still need to publish some more results from the dmt uh, studies but broadly speaking um there's a lot of interesting similarities that are quite evident and there are some things that are different okay one of those things is that uh, the, the the immersive component of DMT uh, is kind of like mirrored by these in- increases in delta and theta frequencies. There's a specific brainwave patterns. And these are the same sort of brainwave patterns that you also see during the experience of dreaming. Uh, these okay. lower frequencies, which become kind of like more, take more of a protagonist role during the experience. Do we understand what impact those um brainwaves have what those frequencies actually actually mean as such or well yeah i mean these are essentially uh low frequency pattern like um so when the when you're in a normal waking state Mm -hmm. uh, your dominant brainwave pattern is is commanded by alpha frequencies these this is the prevailing uh, frequencies in the adult human brain um if you look at kids or, or younger people, uh, the, the prevailing brainwave, uh, brainwave pattern is, is theta waves. And that's lower frequencies, slower waves, which are dominating. What, what age does this change? Uh, it's a progressive thing. Um, okay. You know, as you grow, it, it shifts from theta to alpha. Is this connected uh, to like neuroplasticity? Well, it, it does speak about neuroplasticity, but not in, a, in, in the direct way in which you can think okay. of it. Just in the sense that the brain is plastic because it okay. changes over time. <laughs> cool. But um, so essentially, what what's happening is that the the brainwave patterns shift back in the DMT state to this theta and this also this delta wave, so these these lower frequency waves. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, it was an initial approximation, but that's one of the things that we found that, that it has more like this dreamlike quality in terms of brain waves. Okay. Yeah. And especially, and it's like especially prominent during the immersive component of the experience when people are having this feeling of a breakthrough, mm -hmm. no longer like reality is no longer anchored in this consensus external reality, but it's now being anchored by a different sort of space. And it's plausible that on very high doses of LSD, something similar happens. Okay. Just haven't studied that, that and usually people don't have such big doses of LSD mm -mm. comparatively to DMT to make that connection. The other uh, comparison that I've half heard on that regard and that it's still a possibility is that high doses of psilocybin, or mushrooms, yep. can have sort of like a DMT flavor because of that. And, you know, if you look at those two molecules are very similar, uh, both psilocybin and, and DMT. Okay. But, I mean, I'm just talking from, I guess, my own experiences here. Um, I can't see anything that is similar to a breakthrough experience on DMT. Like, um, even when, uh, you know, larger doses of psilocybin or larger doses of LSD um, or LSD derivatives, um, I don't have that. There, there's still the sense of self, which I, I can't, I just, I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, like on a breakthrough experience of DMT, you are no longer, I, I guess I'm, I'm no longer me. I know I have no, I just am. I mean, I'm in, in existence and I'm, there's observation, but I'm, this, this is gone. Everything my, and, and my ego, I guess that's what yeah, they say. Ego death has just disappeared. And I, I can't think of any, anything like it really. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, you do hear, you know, uh, reports like that also with high dose psilocybin at times with, from other people. Um, okay. I think that there's, there's, it's still an open question. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, there is a speculative component in that, but it could be true. And then there's another thing, which I think is quite relevant, is that one of the things that we've mapped out in terms of experience of DMT is that these dynamics, this the, the way that the experience fluctuates is very intense. It goes from zero to 100 back to zero in, you know, super fast in a way. It's crazy minutes, seconds. Right? Uh, and that in itself has a flavor of experience. This being launched out of a rocket, when people, the way that the body digests mushrooms is slower because it's not uh, small. I see. Yeah. Right? And that also has a quality to experience. That come up is lower and that mm -hmm. has a specific experiential component. That's another sort of, that's what we call pharmacokinetics in a way. It's another element of like, the, that can influence experience in a meaningful way, which we don't know. You know okay. How that, how that would come up turn out essentially do you ever look into uh, ayahuasca and make comparisons uh, because that is uh, i mean a lot slower right than um that would be more similar to psilocybin to an experience of mushrooms yeah well the case of ayahuasca is is interesting because as you say it's a bit it's closer to mushrooms in terms of like what i was saying like pharmacokinetics mm -hmm. or, or the temporal sort of aspect of it um and some people would argue that there are similarities. Now, it's very hard to make comparisons. One, because the rituals I you know, that accompany an ayahuasca experience are very different from the ones from mm -hmm. a psilocybin experience. That 
changes the experience. Like we have so much evidence showing now how set and setting or context or rituals permeate the experience. You know? Yes. Um, to a very high degree, and it's very hard to separate substance from context in these in these. Uh, how can you do that in a lab because yeah. that's got to be really difficult you know <laughs> yeah so, yeah it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question like this um this researcher very early on in psychedelic research he was an anthropologist he said we should have cultured control uh experiments you know mm -hmm. where you would be able to control for that cultural variable when you're having these rituals these contexts and interesting. Uh, being able to generate that uh so i think you know th that's a big part of the confound which makes us makes it very difficult for us to say conclusively this is this or this is that yeah uh, then the other thing is that ayahuasca has many compounds it's not just dmt is a dmt and it has the the other plants so it's, it's like actually ayahuasca is the vine right yeah that's, that's the vine of the dead and then you have the the um, I say in English, the brush, the brush, uh, the anyway, a plant which contains yeah. the these two things are combined, right? So the M MAO but, inhibitor, right? But the MAO inhibitor is in actually the actual vine, the ayahuasca okay. vine, and the DMT is con containing the leaves of the other plant. So it's and those two, and there's some research implying strongly that they actually do act on experience as well on their own right. And they also have an interactive effect. So as you have DMT, you would have the inhibitor inhibitions of the MAOI, the, mm -hmm. the MAO, and then those two things combined in their own mix generate another sort of flavor of experience. Okay, interesting. Still a pending question. And then you have the the, the purgative elements, the 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 aspect that ayahuasca induces vomiting. Vomiting, diarrhea, that kind of thing. And that thing, it has its own flavor of experience, which mixes up with all the mental stuff. And, you know, yeah. Uh, so there's so many variables in place. Uh, yeah, that, that it's difficult to, to tease them apart at this stage. But, you know, these are empirical questions. You know, with, mm -hmm. with sophisticated experiments, you could try to figure these things out. You know. is, is there like a, an end goal with your research? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you'll just keep finding new things to look into as such but like do do you and your colleagues have like you know you're you're trying to solve a particular thesis uh you know a particular question i think that uh th there are several questions uh, one one of the you know it one of the things that has come up recently is like for example what can psychedelics uh in what way do the study of psychedelics provide insights into you know our understanding of consciousness mm -hmm. and i think you know that that's that's kind of like an important question in what way you know is this a relevant sort of aspect for research for that i would say that there's two main things like one is uh these experiences have been around for a long time like if you look at that archaeological right. evidence what thousands of years Certainly yeah so. some evidence like points towards thousands other evidence points towards like um hundreds of years it's really not that uh straightforward but um but the important thing is that they have been part of cultural developments 
and they've been used for a long, long time in these cultures, and they have sort of like a social cohesion um, function in many of these places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you know they've been part of the human story for quite a while. So if we want to understand human beings and human consciousness, any sort of model of consciousness that do not take these experiences into account is incomplete. You know. So these these yeah. these. If you have sort of like a realm of human consciousness, human experiences, right? Uh, if you want to understand that complexity, you need to take these things into account. So that's one thing. Yeah. And then there's the other argument that I think is quite a, an interesting and compelling one. Compelling one is that when you perturb aspects of consciousness, say the sense of self, right, ego, death, right you become aware of its boundaries. You become aware of its structure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, you understand how it works. So it wasn't I think, there before. Exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so like, it's interesting. Like, even if you, if, if you think of, for example, the, um, you know, one of the central tenets of Buddhism is, is that you grow into the awareness that the sense of self is a construction that the sense of self is impermanent, that, you know, the ego is like a construction that we build through our cognitive processes and our minds and, and we try to grasp it. And we, you know, that makes us convinced that it's real and that's why we suffer and so on. A similar sort of thing happens with, with psychedelics, like, you know, through psychedelic practice, if you want to call it like that, Mm -hmm. uh, I think we should, you know, at some point call it psychedelic practice, you know, like uh, you can, you can, with the right guidance, you know, uh, you can come also to a similar sort of realization that the sense of self is constructed. Why? Because it goes away and experience is still happening. The, the sense of self is impermanent. Um, so when you do this, you can stri- you know, you can start to figure out what are the aspects of the self that are disrupted under psychedelics. How do we generate the sense of self? Thus, you know, a sense of space, mm-hmm. a, sense, a sense of time is relevant, a sense of identity, a sense of body. All of these things become altered in different sort of ways during this experience. So I think that that's a, a quite, quite an important uh, sort of like um, aspect of it. By disrupting this thing, by killing the ego, if you will, mm-hmm. you kind of like become aware of its components through these experiences. And I think that that's, that's, that's an important part of what we're trying to figure out. You know, like. Do you, do you see though our, our sense of self is something that is so non-permanent um, and is constantly changing? Like we, do we even have a real way of like, I mean, I know you listed the, those kind of parameters there, but like, do we have a real way of actually defining what is our consciousness and what's the, what, like it differentiates us being conscious to say uh you know my dog you know because yeah, yeah. Uh, you know according according to some people you know only humans are conscious and you know it's our ability to have language etc like what do you do you feel that is in your experiences well i think it's like um it, it really depends uh, there's different definitions of consciousness uh-huh. the most the broad one is the sense of awareness uh, or you know the switching on the presence or absence of conscious experience you know if you're self-aware if you're sorry if you're not self-aware through an experience say such as dmt where you break through um what is 
but you're not unconscious in the sense of your, you know, your brain is not blacked out. You're still experiencing something, but you lose that sense of consciousness. Then is, is there a, is there a name for like what that state is? Well, some people call that pure awareness. Uh, pure awareness. Okay. Which is uh, a sense in which, yeah, the, the self is not part of that experience. You're just like a point of consciousness, which some people link with this five methoxy DMT experience or the Buffalo various sort of mm -hmm. experience. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think it's still like an open question whether or not it's a matter of degrees or if it's an absolute. Yeah, Maybe yeah. you've destroyed a large part of the ego and there's a little part there which is still mm. kind of like registering hanging the experience. On. Yeah, hanging on. And then, you know, if you push beyond that, you have these dissociative blackouts that people also report, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't know that still, uh, which is why I think it's important to study experience discipline mm -hmm. in a disciplined way and responsibly because there's it's easy to get to claims um about experience yes. uh, but we can also be better at studying experience you know, that's a bit the agenda that i try to push for so so that's one and, and so one definition is this presence or absence of like experience and then the other one is you know like you say self-awareness or mm -hmm. you know the, the fact that we are aware that we have an experience per yeah. se that would be kind of like a more high level definition of what consciousness is um and we don't know to what extent other animals have that some people argue that you know some mammals definitely have that and uh other people the truth is that most of us don't know and the way that we yeah. can infer to that is by looking at their nervous systems uh and seeing how close they are to us and you know yeah. is that that is that the kind of the benchmark is the comparison to us as, as the go-to well if that's it's complicated because if, if you're trying to look for a point of reference where else are you going to look for true yeah it's like uh so the, the, it's all i think it's similar to the discussion of artificial intelligence a lot of people are like well, you know, will will the machines actually become conscious? Well, what do you mean conscious? Well, you know, like human conscious. So it's like, you know, the point of reference is inevitably us. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, to, to that sort of extent. Uh, I think, yeah, it is the only parameter that we have because ultimately our experience is the only thing that we have, you know, of certainty of anything. It is our starting point. Yeah. Um, so it kind of makes sense to look at, you know, uh, you know, to look at our nervous system as a point of reference, mm -hmm. if you, uh, you know, look into these other animals. Do you ever, um, in, in your research into consciousness, is it strictly, um, focusing on, uh, DMT and psychedelic compounds, or do you ever research things like uh, meditative states and look into these uh, yeah, other methods of kind of understanding our consciousness? Uh, we look at. I mean, we're we're starting to to look into that. I'm, I'm I'm also particularly interested in that, and also states a bit like hypnosis and, and mm -hmm. things of the sort. Um, there there is definitely that interest i haven't done any empirical work but you know some comparative sort of thing looking into the studies and the similarities and collaborations with uh, with others yeah we do some some of that stuff how many of you uh, are actually working like is this like a is it quite a niche um field or are there a lot of a lot of scientists 
kind of focusing on this psychedelic research uh, yes yeah, so, uh, psychedelic research and, and um, understanding consciousness in general it's becoming a growing growing field of major interest i would say okay yeah definitely uh, i feel just out of my own kind of understanding um that the opinions are starting to shift that people are, are kind of actually understanding or, or willing to try to understand psychedelics more and take it more seriously because uh up until recently i think it's been quite a fringe thing and you know maybe people just associate anything with drugs as just people getting fucked up i guess is the you know the, the kind of um is is the general association and you know they don't take it seriously so uh, like i've noticed a shift do you, do you feel amongst other uh, scientists and other kind of uh, i'm guessing there's a whole heap of departments that you work around so are they starting to change their um, opinions on it yeah def i would say so um there's some a good example for me is that there's some major institutions mm -hmm. who are starting their own psychedelic research departments and then you have very renowned scientists who are yeah. specifically starting to do some research with psychedelics so yeah i would say most definitely it's changing it's okay. been changing for a while and i think one of the pivotal things that happened was that you know michael Pollan published you know his book in 2018 yeah that is a, a big sort of sanctioning of the mainstream to the mm -hmm. this sort of field of inquiry do you um do you do you struggle to get volunteers for um your your studies <laughs> not really no i can imagine there's probably a lot of people signing up how, how do you how do people actually uh how do you find people for the this kind of thing and how do you separate um like i don't mean to be rude but um maybe people that might have a bias so are going into it because they want to take drugs um versus people who are going in it in a purely uh, i'm gonna just do this for science 